Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah Sun, and I'm your host for today's episode of Think with ABD. Here at Analytics by Design, we are passionate about driving the conversations that are shaping our future through the use of AI, technology, and design. I have an interesting guest here for you today. Considering the fact that the 2020 U.S. election campaign is here, I thought it would be interesting for us to talk a little bit more about the analytics that is involved on the campaign trail. Peter Tanner was an analyst for the 2012 Obama campaign at the Chicago headquarters, with a focus on leveraging digital channels to persuade, encourage turnout, and register voters. He works as a data scientist in the financial sector in Toronto, and his sports analytics have been featured in the New York Times and on ESPN. Peter holds a Bachelor's of Mathematics from the University of Waterloo. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Okay, so we go way back. One of my earliest memories of you is actually sitting in the audience as a brand new analyst, listening to you talk about your experience of one of Obama's data scientists. Uh, honestly, for me, it was such a standout memory because it really exposed me to a completely new way of thinking about analytics and outside of banking. Yeah, thanks, Sarah. That was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just curious. Like, I don't remember, though. Like, how did you get involved in the election campaign to begin with? And you're like, you're, you were in Canada at the time too. You went down yeah, that's to the good US. Point. Uh, I, I am a, a dual citizen with uh, the US since I, I grew up in the US. So I had some, some contacts with the Obama campaign. Uh, so I got in touch with them. Uh, ended up doing virtual interviews, uh, much like the uh, world is now. Uh, kind of took in an online exam uh, for, for them, had, had a few more interviews, uh, and then moved to Chicago. How progressive, you know, like, what was, what was that, like, 2011, 2010? Uh, late, late 2011, yeah. How did you even hear that they were recruiting data scientists, and how many did they end up with? Yeah, so in 2012, uh, Obama's data science team, uh, or uh, what was called analytics, was about 50 people, and that was a mix of people that built models and people that were more on the data engineering side as well. Versus Hillary's team very much expanded that in 2016. I think she had over 100 people working in analytics. Very cool. How long were you in Chicago for this? Uh, a bit uh, under a year. Uh, so from uh, March 2012 through through the election in um, November. Oh, very cool. Okay, so so you were one of the. For some reason, I thought it was 100, but you were one of the 50 uh, data scientists that were doing this. Were you all the more of the engineering side or the modeling side? Uh, I actually probably did a bit more on the, the modeling side, a lot of models to predict who would make a donation. Um, I also built a lot of models uh, using Facebook data uh, to predict uh, political views of, of, of Facebook users. Whoa, that is so cool. Um, tell me more about that. Yeah, so in 2012, uh, the Obama campaign had an app um, that was meant to encourage your friends to uh, vote. And, you know, in general, in politics, there are some people who really love Obama and are going to vote no matter what. There's people that would really love Obama, but are a bit lazy about, about voting. You know, there's people that are Republican and vote every, every time, etc. So the, the goal of this app was kind of to encourage your friends to vote, the ones that we would thought uh, would vote for Obama and like targeting people that we think that would be my, a bit less to, to, to the incremental impact of having their friend encourage them to vote through Facebook or actually cause them to vote. That's so interesting. What kind of Facebook data did you have access to or other data sets as well? 
Yeah, uh, so it's pretty like limited data because basically it was data about uh, friends of friends. Um, you're looking at stuff like where they live, their age, their uh, name itself. That's not that much actually, to be honest. No, it's not. Uh, but based off of, of US politics, with that limited information, you can actually get a pretty good guess on someone's political leanings. So interesting. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about that. So you're building these, you're building these models, you're trying to predict the people who are going to make donations to the campaign. And you've got a little bit of Facebook data, I guess, personally identifiable in some way, but a lot of this tied to really a postal code or a zip code, I guess, since we're talking about the US from that perspective, like, what kind of models were you running? Like, how much data were you dealing with on a daily basis? The interesting thing about US politics is, um, you basically have public records of everyone who is re registered to vote. You can almost imagine a database of about 200 million people with their name, their address, uh, their party registration in most states, previous voting history on what elections they voted in. You don't actually know who someone voted for, um, but there's someone who might have gotten their door knocked on in 1992 and a volunteer asked them whether they're going to vote for George Bush or Bill Clinton. Political uh, came would still have that that type of data. Also, like elections in, in Canada are a bit different. I know for city of Toronto elections, they do go and release a list of eligible voters, but that's only done like a few weeks before the actual election, so it's less usable by uh, campaigns. And also in Canada, there's lots of emphasis on, re on registering to vote. Everywhere in Canada, you just go and show up with your electricity bill and vote on election day. In most places in the U.S., the voter registration deadline is a month or two before the actual election. So at that point, you're working on a finite list of potential voters. Um, and also going back to the, the data engineering side, some of this very like simple stuff that the Obama campaign did in 2012 is that there's a lot of early voting. So people vote early in the US and you can have nightly data feeds of who has voted. So once someone has voted, you know that you no longer have to invest in trying to persuade a person because there's basically no, no additional action that could take place. So in the final weeks of the US election, that allows the campaign to use their resources more effectively on people who haven't voted yet. That is so interesting, okay. I have, a, I have a couple different questions that could take us into a different areas. I think, first of all, so you would talk about these nightly data feeds. Basically, so you're running models daily, no? Or at least you're scrubbing out people that you're targeting on a daily yeah, basis? Yeah, depending on, on models, but you're right. Look for things like, um, like Facebook ads, you're basically doing a, a nightly scrub, correct? Okay, very interesting. And then I remember, if I re I'm remembering all the way back to, I don't know if it was like 2012, probably that we were talking about this, um, that presentation, I think there was an interesting timing aspect to it too, right? Like you would do EB testing by a certain time of the day. Yeah. So that was mostly for emails uh, to Obama's list. I, and most of those were focused on donors. So what the Obama campaign would do would be each morning at 6am to send out a bunch of different emails um, to a subset of people on on the East Coast, see which email performed the best within a couple of hours, uh, and then send the, the winner out to the entire country. Interesting. Was there any risk of bias? Like, for example, donors on the East Coast not reacting the same way as the West Coast? Great question. So that was something uh, that was asked out of the time, and we did do a bunch of analysis kind of to show that uh, East Coast people that check their email in the, the morning are representative of the entire country. And that would hardly ever change what the winning messages would be. Interesting. What I think of was like, like con country politics or, you know, there are people like, oh, people from New York don't understand me being from the Silicon Valley and stuff. And maybe people have more in common than they actually think they do. 
Yeah, and just to clarify for those emails, since they were being sent to people on Obama's mailing list, they're all Democrats to uh, start with. So it is somewhat okay. of a homogenous group. Oh, interesting. Okay. So the other question that I had was going back to this like original, this 200 million person list of people in their, you know, the parties that they've registered and the votes. I would have a hypothesis that predicting where people are going to vote next is very, very heavily correlated with how they have voted in the past. No? Oh, yes. Yeah. So in Canada, uh, people are much more likely to change the party they vote for. In the US, it is very little change. Um, also, just by knowing what, what party a voter is, is registered for, like that tells you a lot of information. In Canada, I think only like 1% of Canadians are actually members of political parties. So in the US, it's very, very different. Huh, fascinating. If you were starting to look for undecided voters, like do you, do, would you remember like what that would look like in your data? Or is that just, you just focused on that? Uh, so we build models uh, to try to go and predict that. You're looking for the people around the 50% chance of voting for Obama. So that can be caused by a few, few different things. Um, there's people that you have less information on. So the model is less confident on those people. And then there's people that have, or whether they're Democrat, demographic reasons or information they've given to the Democratic Party in the past that are likely uh, to be an undecided voter. Interesting. So then back in 2011, like the type of models that you were running, like I'm going to assume that they weren't like deep neural nets, convolutional reinforcement learning style kind of (laughs) algorithms, right? The vast majority of this was good old logistic regression. Yeah, that's the majority of it. Nothing super fancy, some stuff in Python, but I wouldn't go and call it big data or deep learning or or anything like that. That's so funny. You know what? I still love logistic regression. I just think it's so, it's such a powerful little model. It does. It does. Right. (laughs) Um, Or even, I mean, it's, I think it's debatable too in the AI industry. People even consider like, uh, boost gradient boosted trees AI because you know that was still a statistical technique that was used before data science got super super popular but that could be a debate for I think another day <laughs> um, I feel like there's a little bit of the elephant in the room because since it really in the last two years the kind of press there has been around Cambridge Analytica and using Facebook data to influence the election do you think that has influenced the way uh, campaigns are, are going to happen in the future, maybe even now? Yeah, great question. Um, so Facebook uh, kind of has changed their their data policies uh, since 2012. Actually, before the Cambridge Analytical story went public, but uh, perhaps in a reaction to it, that Facebook apps can no longer get data about your friends. You can only give Facebook apps data about yourself. So that has, has limited some of the strategies that, that Obama used in 2012. You can actually no longer do on Facebook. Oh, okay. Okay. That would definitely change things significantly. And that was such a, a pivotal piece of why the Cambridge Analytica scandal really became as big as it did. Uh, very interesting. Um, did you get to meet Obama? Uh, yeah, I met Obama a few times. Super nice guy. I think what you see on TV is a representative sample. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I listened to Michelle Obama's podcast as well. And I'm just like, I just feel like they would be that whole family would just be the coolest family to, to spend yeah. a day with. Great people. Yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. They hang out with Beyonce and Jay-Z. So I'm sure <laughs> they're having a great time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how it just sounds like it'd be impossible to not at that point in time. Um, 
Oh, I should have. I probably should have asked this at the very, very beginning. Uh, before Obama and his first fifty data scientists helped him get elected, uh, was anyone doing this style of analytics in the world? Yeah, so I think it has grown over time. Obama's original twenty eight campaign did have a few analysts, apparently about four or five people. One, one of the reasons why the Obama campaign invested very heavily in analytics in twenty twelve that in the twenty ten uh, U.S. midterm elections, the analytics people working for the Democratic Party turned out to be right that it was going to be a very bad year for Democrats in, in those elections. That actually bought analytics a, a lot of credibility going into twenty twelve. And even from like the start of the history of politics in the U.S., there's been a data-driven strategy. And that really goes back to campaigns getting like a list of church members going back to the early 1900s. Whoa, interesting. <laughs> this is this idea of these like lists of church members. I'm trying to think in today's day and age where everyone is so cautious about um, like their own data privacy, et cetera. I'd be annoyed if my church gave out an information like that or a community group that I was part mm-hmm. of. Uh, yeah, it's a completely different area, for sure. Uh, do you have any uh, hypotheses as to what the current campaign is doing for the Democratic election? I, I don't, but they have lots of super smart people working for uh, them, so I think they're in very good hands. Even, uh, I will say about Hillary in 2016, is that a lot of her analytics people had worked for Obama in 2012, where things were quite successful. So the overall strategy was quite similar, but there are a bunch of other factors that go into the outcome of campaigns. So like overall, you know, analytics makes a difference, but it's, it's no guarantee. Yeah, it's so true, though. You can build the best models in the world, but uh, if you just forget or don't realize a couple of key variables that were not taken into account, you're completely off. <laughs> yeah, just like time and time again, right? I don't know. I don't know any industry that is able to perfectly predict everything that they're able to do right now. My favorite right now is I get a lot of medium articles about how to predict the stock market using AI and how easy it is. And so, you know, I think I think maybe if I applied myself, I'd be a billionaire by next this time next year maybe <laughs> um are, do you have any interest in doing any more of the analytics in the election you know i i was glad to do it in, in 2012 and it worked out well and everything went right i'm probably retired from politics in that sense so i but i wish joe biden's people the- that's that's awesome so then playing off this idea as well of not predicting the election right what happened in 2016 the polls Everyone thought that Hillary Clinton had it made. Great question. So the very interesting thing about 2016 is on a national level, the polls were off by actually less than they were in 2012. So on a national level, Hillary won the popular vote by about 1% less than what the polls predicted her to do. In 2012, uh, Obama actually exceeded his polls by 3% on a national level. The reason why I uh, got so much attention 2016 is it actually had a massive difference on who became president. Also in, in 2016, while the national polls were very accurate, on certain state polls were off. So particularly in, in Wisconsin, where some of the polls weren't weighting by education properly, there was actually a systematic issue with that. Oh, interesting. <laughs> I actually hadn't realized that the, the polls were better. <laughs> you know, or sorry, yeah, the analytics were better. were better. But again, like... Uh, people are focused on who actually becomes president, and if it's a different person than what the poll said, that really raises a lot of eyebrows. Yeah, interesting. This upcoming election is going to be so interesting as well, because I guess everyone 
that I have talked to, they're looking at the polls and they're taking everything with a grain of salt, thinking, well, like last time, it didn't work out the way that the polls thought they would either. So it'll be interesting to see where we land right now. I know I have a couple of uh, friends who are constantly checking the odds on various betting sites to see the odds for um, Biden versus Trump. <laughs> yeah, so the, depending on what, what model you use, I think the Economist has a prediction model that has Biden at 91% currently. There's also a model with Nate Silver of 538 has Biden at 84% to win. So we will see what happens there. Sometimes a lot of, I think what a lot of people are concerned about is the concept of shy Trump voters. And if these polls aren't picking that up, there's actually been a lot of analysis that has been done on that. One is like where Trump actually overperformed in 2016 was in geographies where he's already very popular. So kind of like in rural areas where you expect there'd be less of a social stigma about supporting Trump. Also, Another way that the, the shy voter effect is trying to be figured out is uh, looking at the, the uh, comparison between polls done by live humans versus robocalls or online polls. And you would expect to see that if in live voter calls, if there were a lot less people supporting Trump versus a robocall, then that would be evidence of people that are actually shy because people tend to be more honest to machines than to other humans. So we will see what happens. There's no guarantees though. Much like where there was the education bias in 2016, there could be another bias in 2020, which we aren't aware of yet. Yeah, interesting. I love this stuff. It's uh, everyone I think is is waiting with bated breath to see what the outcome of this election is going to be. Should be <laughs> it's exciting. Be an interesting one. Yes, absolutely. Are you going to throw an electric party? I guess a virtual uh, election you know, there's party. There's too much COVID going on, so so it's just <laughs> not, not this year. Oh, that's so unfortunate. Uh, 2020 has been an interesting one, I think, for everybody. It's unfortunate. But you know what? Maybe maybe we can organize something through Zoom and we can watch the results come in as a group. <laughs> Sounds fun, Sarah. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Uh, well, Peter, thank you so much again for uh, joining us here today. I know that people are, have always been curious about how data science is used in the elections. and Or there are some that I've been told that I actually didn't even realize that it was used to the extent that it is. So thank you for kind of lifting the lid a little bit on that and giving us a glimpse into what that, that means. Thank you, Sarah. Comments, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast do not constitute as business or investment advice. Comments mentioned by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the view of Analytic by Design and its constituents.